Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This episode is part one of our two-part series on the Holy Rosary. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop and as part of our share that you were so gracious to join us for, we had a goal of $3,500 and in the end we raised $4,229 with 47 pledges. So thanks to all who donated, especially thanks to Nick Harris who acted as pledge captain, collected many of the pledges in preparation for Bishop's Hour. And part of that hour, you had promised for each $1,000 raised, you you would do a reflection for a set of rosary mysteries and since more than 4000 was raised you agreed to cover all four sets of mysteries so in addition to the broadcast today we will also post these in redeemer radio's audio library online and in the app so people can pray along with these uh, anytime they'd like uh, but especially during this next hour we invite people as we do this it's going to be a little bit different we won't do question and answer but instead invite people to pray along and reflect on these mysteries of the rosary and do you want to maybe give a little background on the rosary before we get into this Sure, Kyle. I think the rosary is a beautiful prayer. I, I know so many people who love to pray the rosary. It might be helpful for some who are not Catholic or people who've never prayed the rosary to know what it is. When we pray the rosary, we meditate on five different mysteries. We say in our Father, ten Hail Marys and a Glory Be while meditating on those mysteries. And we have four sets of mysteries. It's a Marian prayer, but at its heart, it's really centered in Christ because we're meditating on these mysteries in the life of our Lord. And also, it's kind of like we're praying together with Mary at our side, at the School of Mary, which is, I think, a very beautiful thing to think about. The Rosary, in many ways, is what John Paul II called a compendium of the Gospel, because it's an opportunity to, to meditate and to contemplate some key mysteries of the life of Jesus in the Gospels. So it's a very contemplative prayer, and uh, I I just think uh, a lot of people will benefit from praying it. It's also something, it's a prayer of supplication. We're asking Our Lady to intercede for us as well, to uh, be with us as we recite the Rosary. And we can offer it for various intentions as well. And uh, so anyhow, uh, I highly recommend the rosary. The four sets of mysteries are the joyful mysteries, the luminous mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, and the glorious mysteries. For centuries, we had just the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious mysteries. But the beginning of the new millennium, Pope St. John Paul II created the, the luminous mysteries. And it kind of, I, I thought it was, what a great gift, the, the mysteries of light. Because before we were meditating in the joyful mysteries on kind of the events surrounding the incarnation. And then when we do the sorrowful mysteries, it's, you know, about the passion and death of our Lord. And then the glorious mysteries, the resurrection and, and the things that followed the resurrection of Jesus. So we really had a gap between Christ's early life on earth and then the end of his earthly life. So by having the luminous mysteries, now we can meditate also on the public life of Jesus, some key events in those three years of his public ministry. All right. 
So today we'll only have time to do two sets of the rosary. So we'll do the joyful mysteries and the luminous mysteries. And then next week we'll be able to do the sorrowful mysteries and the glorious mysteries. So uh, coming up, we will do the joyful mysteries of the rosary, or reflections with our bishop, right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we are praying the mysteries of the rosary. Today, we're going to start with the joyful mysteries of the rosary, and Bishop has been gracious enough to offer some reflections of those. It's a little bit different than past episodes. We're not going to be answering questions, uh, but instead, we invite you to pray along with these as Bishop offers reflections on the joyful mysteries of the rosary. Kyle, I think the best way to meditate on the mysteries is that we read the scripture passage Mm -hmm. that goes along with that mystery. I think that that will be an important thing for us. And then I'll give a little reflection after I read each scripture passage. The first joyful mystery is the Annunciation. And in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 1, we read about this joyful event. St. Luke writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's just part of the uh, episode of the Annunciation, but it's the greatest announcement, the most joyful announcement in the history of humanity. When the angel Gabriel was sent from God to announce that God was sending his son and his son's name would be Jesus, a name which means God saves. In other words, God was sending us a savior. And so even in that first joyful mystery, the Annunciation, we learn that its purpose was our salvation, that God would save his people from their sins. And he chose a lowly young virgin, Mary, to be the mother of his son. And he sent the angel Gabriel to her Of course, she reacted with some fear who would not be afraid or troubled if an angel appeared to them, but she was totally open and obedient to God's will. It's said that all the people of the Old Testament, etc., who were deceased were waiting for Mary's answer. Would she say yes? And of course, she did. Mary dared to take that leap of great faith, and she responded, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Mary was totally open to the will of the Father. She had the courage to say yes. 
And when we meditate on the mystery of the Annunciation, we do so in union with Mary and also asking her help so that we too will open our hearts to God's will and welcome Jesus into our lives. The second joyful mystery, the visitation. We read in the Gospel of St. Luke, During those days, Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. This is a beautiful, joyful mystery, that after the Son of God had taken flesh in the womb of Mary, she just didn't remain at home rejoicing in this. She went out in haste, the Gospel tells us, to help her cousin Elizabeth, who was also expecting a child. She was the expected mother of John the Baptist. And in this wonderful encounter with Elizabeth, we hear those wonderful words that we say all the time in the Hail Mary. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she said to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth was really amazed and asked that question, How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I mean, she used the word mother of my Lord recognizing that Mary was carrying God, the Son of God, in her womb. Of course, she only knew that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Another thing to think about when we contemplate the visitation is the meeting of two unborn children. Not only two mothers embracing each other, but we have the unborn John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb for joy. Kind of reminds me of how King David leaped for joy when the Ark of the Covenant was being carried. And here we have Mary the new Ark carrying Jesus, the Savior of the world, in her womb. And to think that the first person to greet Christ was an unborn baby. If you continue reading on, Mary would respond to Elizabeth's words with the Magnificat, the beautiful prayer. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So gladness filled the heart of Elizabeth and of Mary and even of the unborn children. May God bless us also with this joy. The third joyful mystery, the Nativity. We read in St. Luke's Gospel, And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds in that region, living in the fields and keeping the night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were struck with great fear. 
The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you, who is Messiah and Lord. The scene in Bethlehem, we contemplate the birth of Jesus our Savior, the only begotten Son of the Almighty Father, is born as a man, born of the Virgin Mary. Of course, we joyfully celebrate this great mystery every year on Christmas. And we contemplate how our Lord was born not as a mighty king, he was the king of the universe, but he came in humility and poverty. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born at a place where animals were kept. And yet he is the living word of the Father, the eternal word. God has become an infant and he has shown his face to us. And the first people he calls are the poor shepherds to whom the angel of the Lord appeared. The angel who announced to them this great joyful news that is for all the people of the world, that a savior has been born for us, who is the Christ, the Messiah and Lord. The fourth joyful mystery, the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple. St. Luke writes, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Messiah of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, Simeon took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the rise and fall of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be contradicted and you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. When we meditate on this mystery of the presentation that took place 40 days after the birth of Jesus, the first thing that comes to mind is how Mary and Joseph were good Jews. They obeyed the law of the Lord and they brought the child Jesus to the temple as it was prescribed. And of course, we had Simeon and Anna awaiting him. All of Israel was awaiting a savior, the long expected Messiah, the one who Simeon referred to as the glory of Israel, but also the light to the nations. Because Jesus came not only as the savior of Israel, but the savior of the whole world. The words that Simeon said to Mary are a little disconcerting. We can kind of imagine how Mary must have felt 
when Simeon told her that the child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and that he'd be a sign that would be opposed, that would be contradicted, and that she would be pierced with a sword in her heart. So there is a, it's a joyful mystery, but at the same time, a prophecy, a prophecy of the suffering that would come. This is a beautiful mystery to think about these two elderly people, Simeon and Anna, who both were filled with wonderful faith, awaiting the Messiah for so many years, and then recognizing him when they came. The fifth joyful mystery, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. As they were returning home, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Not finding him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The mystery of the finding of the child Jesus in the temple is really the only event that we know of after Jesus's infancy until his public ministry at the age of 30. And it was when he was 12 years old. And of course, when Mary and Joseph discovered that Jesus was missing as they were returning home to Nazareth, they were certainly filled with great anxiety as any parents would if their child was lost and and they went back into Jerusalem and and there they found him they they discovered him there in the midst of the teachers in the temple and the teachers were astounded at how much Jesus knew about the faith and his answers as well that's very important for us to meditate on but then also the anxiety of Mary and Joseph, and our Lord's response to them, which might sound a little bold. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? This kind of gives us a better understanding of Jesus's kind of revealing to Mary and Joseph gradually something of his future mission, that he was first and foremost, obedient to his Father in heaven. So we could say this was kind of a maturing of the Holy Family. I think parents can relate to the sorrow and the concern of Mary and Joseph. But at the same time, Jesus was not disrespectful to them. You know, it seems that the answer that Jesus gave was beyond their understanding. Later we read that Mary kept all these things in her heart and that she herself was perfectly docile and obedient to God's plan. So as we meditate on the mystery of the finding of the child Jesus in the temple, we can relate that we may not always understand the words of Jesus, but we're called to accept them in faith. 
Thank you, Bishop, and thank you for all those that are praying along with us. Just a reminder, we are not taking questions in this episode. Uh, if you do have questions, feel free to submit them. You can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we've got reflections on the Luminous Mysteries coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we're doing something a little bit different today. We are reflecting on the mysteries of the rosary. We invite you to pray along with us as we go through these next set of mysteries as Bishop reads some scripture and reflects on them. Now we will have reflection on the luminous mysteries, also called the mysteries of light. In the joyful mysteries, we contemplated the infancy of Jesus and his hidden life in Nazareth. Now we move to the public life of Jesus. And we think of some of these key events which manifest Jesus really as the light of the world. And these happened during his public life when our Lord proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. The first luminous mystery the baptism of our Lord in the River Jordan. We read in St. Luke's Gospel, John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After all the people had been baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River is a, a great mystery. Our Lord, who was without sin, descended into the waters. And of course, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and Jesus didn't need it. He was the innocent one. But as St. Paul teaches us, he became sin for us, for our sake. When we contemplate this act of humility of our Lord, we can also think about how he sanctified those waters and kind of a preview also of the sacrament of Christian baptism. But we also think about St. John the Baptist and how he was called to prepare the way of the Lord. And he had that humility to recognize that one mightier than he was coming. And he would even point him out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our Lord allowed himself to be baptized just like those other ordinary Jewish believers. But something extraordinary happened. The heavens opened. And really the Trinity is revealed. Right there we have Jesus, the Son of God, standing in the water. But then the presence of God the Father who spoke those words that you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And also the revelation of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, a dove, the symbol of peace. 
And this was all the beginning of Jesus' public ministry when he was going forth to do the mission which the Father was asking him to accomplish. The second luminous mystery, the marriage feast of Cana. St. John writes in his gospel, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine, without knowing where it came from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, he called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, an inferior one, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs in Cana in Galilee, and so revealed his glory and his disciples began to believe in him. It's interesting that our Lord's first miracle wasn't the healing of a sick person. It was to ensure the happiness at a wedding feast. Our Lord turned 120 gallons of water into wine. And it kind of reveals the joy, the abundance of the joy that he brings. He really was opening the hearts of the disciples to faith. And notice that it was thanks to the intervention of Mary, the first among the disciples of Jesus. He addresses Mary, his mother, as woman. Jesus uses that when he addresses Mary hanging on the cross. He also calls her woman because Mary is the new Eve the new Eve, the mother of the redeemed, whereas Eve was the mother of humanity, the woman, just as Jesus is the new Adam. So we see the power of Mary's intercession, which uh, caused our Lord to anticipate his hour. His hour, which comes at the time of the passion, had not yet come. But here we have an anticipation of his hour, this first great sign And the words that Mary said to the waiters really should be the program for our lives as disciples of Jesus. She said to them and says to us, do whatever Jesus tells you. The third luminous mystery, the proclamation of the kingdom of God. St. Mark writes, after John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When we meditate on this mystery, there are many 
gospel passages we can read of Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God and calling people to conversion. The great Pope St. John Paul II, when he instituted this mystery of light, he explained this passage that I just read from the gospel of St. Mark in this way. I quote, Jesus proclaims the coming of the kingdom of God, calls to conversion, and forgives the sins of all who draw near to him in humble trust. The inauguration of that ministry of mercy, which he continues to exercise until the end of the world, particularly through the sacrament of reconciliation. End quote. There are many things we can meditate on with this mystery of the rosary. One thing that I will sometimes reflect on is how Jesus invites sinners into his kingdom. As he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that gives us all hope. He invites us all to conversion. And of course, this proclamation of the kingdom is something that the church today is called to continue. This is the fundamental mission of the church, to proclaim God's kingdom, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And we need the fire of the Holy Spirit in order to do so. So as we pray this third luminous mystery, let us not only remember our Lord's proclamation of the kingdom, but also our call to proclaim his kingdom in our words and in our deeds. The fourth luminous mystery, the transfiguration of our Lord. Jesus, according to Matthew's gospel, took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Traditionally, the transfiguration is believed to have taken place on Mount Tabor. But this glimpse of the glory of God that shines forth from the face of Jesus is something that um, we can contemplate. And it's, it's a foretaste, really, that Peter, James, and John were able to have of Christ in glory. And we can only imagine their astonishment. And then to hear the words of the Father, similar to what the Father said at the baptism of Jesus, 
This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In a way, I think this wonderful experience was preparing these three apostles for what they would experience soon at the agony of the Passion, and also later with the joy of the resurrection. The Father is revealing to them the intensity of his love for his Son, and it really is a foreshadowing of the glory of the resurrection. It's also interesting that we have the appearances of two great Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Also, when we meditate on this mystery, we can remember the words that the Father addressed to Peter, James, and John as words addressed to us. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's so important in our lives, that we listen to the words of Jesus in our minds and in our hearts, that we try to internalize them, especially the words of Jesus throughout the Gospels, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the parables of Jesus, all the words Jesus spoke that reveal to us the love of the Father and his call to be disciples. The fifth luminous mystery, the institution of the Holy Eucharist. We read in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was handed over, took bread, and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The institution of the Eucharist is the final mystery of light, where Jesus offers us his body and blood as spiritual food under the signs of bread and wine. This is the great testimony that Jesus has loved us to the end. And of course, the Holy Eucharist is the greatest of the seven sacraments, the source and summit of the Christian life and Jesus instituted this sacrament at the Last Supper. He instituted this sacrament in his sacrifice that would take place the next day on Calvary. He showed the fullness of his love. Every time we celebrate Mass, it is the sacrifice of Christ that becomes present for us on the altar under the forms of bread and wine. When Jesus instituted the Eucharist, he also instituted the priesthood so that this memorial of his love and mercy might continue through the ages until the end of time. We give thanks to God when we meditate on this mystery. We give thanks to Christ for giving us himself as the bread of life, that he has given himself for the life of the world, for our life. He is the food for our journey. 
he is really present at every mass he becomes really present and he's present in all the tabernacles of the world even until the end of time Thank you so much, Bishop, for those reflections. Uh, just a reminder that we are not taking questions on this episode of Truth and Charity, but if you have questions, feel free to submit them. We will put those in the queue for a future episode. You can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. We'll be covering... Two more sets of mysteries next week on the show, but coming up, we will talk a little bit about the rosary and the logistics of how to pray a rosary, if you're not familiar with that, and I'll ask a few questions of Bishop about the rosary. That's coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We thank you so much for offering those reflections. For those that aren't particularly familiar with the rosary, maybe it's been a long time since they've prayed a rosary. Maybe they only think of it as that thing that's hanging from the rearview mirror or something grandma gave them for their first <laughs> communion, but they but they don't really know. We went through some of the mysteries of the rosary, but could you explain maybe the, the process of praying a rosary and is there certain prayers that are required or others that might be optional or is everything kind of optional when it comes to the rosary? Well, I know there's some different ways in different countries that they pray the rosary. So I'll just share how I always pray the rosary. Okay. And I think it's pretty typical. Of course, we use the rosary beads usually. So the rosary beads, for those who maybe aren't familiar, have a crucifix. And usually we, when we begin the rosary, we hold the crucifix and we pray the Apostles' Creed. It's a way to kind of just proclaim our faith in that ancient form. And then we pray an Our Father, three Hail Marys, and a Glory Be. That's kind of the introduction. Sometimes those three Hail Marys will pray the intention of an increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Mm -hmm. That's pretty common. So after we do those introductory prayers, then we begin the mysteries. So every mystery begins with thinking a little bit about the mystery. For example, the Annunciation, the first joyful mystery. One at that point might want to read the passage in the Gospel of the Annunciation, or one can just think about it. But one, while they're meditating, prays on the first bead, an Our Father, and then ten Hail Marys. So one's fingers move along the next ten beads, and then the decade, it's called the decade because it's ten Hail Marys ends with the prayer, the glory be. Some will add the optional Fatima prayer at that point. Mm -hmm. It is optional. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. So that's basically the pattern. And then it repeats, you do the second mystery, again, one our Father, ten Hail Marys, glory be the third mystery, and one's fingers are moving along the beads throughout. So when one completes the five decades, the whole rosary finishes with a prayer called the Hail Holy Queen. It's a beautiful prayer, and the rosary ends after that, or one can also say a concluding prayer that is sometimes used at the very end of the rosary. So as you mentioned, Kyle, there's some variations, but Certainly, praying the five decades are what are the central part. It's a method of contemplation. As I mentioned, it's a 
a compendium of the gospel. The important thing is if one's mind starts wandering or gets distracted, just quietly shift back Mm -hmm. to thinking about the mystery. That will happen sometimes. And it's, as I said, it's a, it's a great prayer. And, you know, we pray it with Mary. I mean, she's really a model of prayer for us. So we believe that, that she prays with us as we pray the Holy Rosary. While you're praying the Hail Marys, are you focused on the words of that particular prayer? Or are you meditating on the mystery or some hybrid of the two? I try to focus on the mystery, okay. uh, but sometimes it becomes a hybrid of the two uh-huh. where I'm thinking about the words that I'm saying. It'd be interesting how different people might share how they do it, but I try my best. That's why for me, if I'm doing the rosary privately, at the very beginning of the mystery, I try to think about the mystery before I start saying the Our Father and Hail Marys, because that gives me kind of a focus. and then. It, it's easier than to meditate on those mysteries if I've paused a little bit to think first about the mystery mm-hmm. before I start saying the words. Do you have an image in your head with these different mysteries? Yeah, you know, sometimes, and sometimes it changes. I mean, sometimes it might be a work of art of that mystery, or there might be something particular that I focus upon. It's interesting on a few of the mysteries, sometimes since I've been to the Holy Land, I'll think of the places. Mm. That'll happen to me when I'm praying sometimes. And that's kind of neat, you know, to uh, not everyone has that opportunity to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, but but that also helps me, even when I'm meditating with the scriptures sometimes, to imagine the scene. Any particular place that you tend to pray the rosary or would encourage people to pray the rosary? Car? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I usually pray in my chapel. I have a chapel in my house, but I also pray it in the car sometimes. I don't do this much now, but I used to love to to go for walks and pray the rosary. I I would like to get back to that. I need to get more exercise anyhow, but sometimes out in nature, I always joke I don't have any mountains here in (laughs) Indiana, but but when I was at Mount St. Mary's, it was great to hike up the mountain praying the rosary, walking up to the grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes, which is at Mount St. Mary's. But you can pray it anywhere, really. Have you run into any... I know different parishes and things have different devotions to the rosary or different displays of artwork or paths or things like that. Have you ever run into any that you might suggest a, like a pilgrimage to go check out some parishes artwork or, or prayer uh, garden or something? I've prayed the rosary at the, at the grotto of Our Lady of Lords at, at Notre Dame, but I know that there are different places in the diocese where there's a little outdoor shrine to Our Lady that might have, but I'm trying to remember, I think there are some parishes that have rosary walks oh but you know what i'm drawing a blank right now kyle yeah i was actually at somebody's house i can't remember whose it was but in their backyard they had their own little rosary walk that they had made with stones and things in their backyard okay you know maybe some listeners could call in with if if their parish has like a a rosary walk yeah All right. Well, we made it through two of the sets of rosary. Like you mentioned, every rosary has five decades and five mysteries. And so we did the joyful mysteries and the luminous mysteries. Next week, the sorrowful mysteries and the glorious mysteries. And can you remind us, there's particular days that you're supposed to pray the different mysteries. Right. I mean, it's actually optional. I mean, 
you know, I don't always follow that, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Because let's say if a feast falls on a particular day, I'll use it even if it's not the assigned day. Sometimes sure. I'm in a mood that I want to pray the Sorrowful Mysteries or something. So no one is bound to this. I think the customary thing would be on Mondays or on Sundays, the Glorious Mysteries, on Monday, the Joyful, Tuesday, the Sorrowful, Wednesday, the Glorious, and now I think the Luminous have been traditionally put now on Thursday, and then Friday, of course, the Sorrowful, and okay. Saturday, back to the Joyful. Okay. I think I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for these meditations. I'm really looking forward to the next ones, too. This is really going to be helpful, I think, in our prayer life that we can just put these on and listen to them. Again, we'll have these available at RedeemerRadio.com in the audio library, as well as in the app so people can listen to them from their phone or wherever they are. Uh, could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. <laughs>